You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. One of the things I love to do when it comes to road trips, I love taking road trips with my family. That's one of the greatest aspects of the road trip. I love getting in a car. <clears throat> I actually, you know, some honest, I mean, we've kind of taken the survey a while back, but who actually like really loves driving in a car with family? Okay, how many of you are like not so sure about it yet? Okay, those, those some of y'all are, <laughs> are they asleep? I love getting in a car with my family. I love the road trip. I love the road trip experience. I love the breaks, the stops, the long hauls, the late nights, the weird locations, the the rest stops, the funny, the fun attractions. I just I love everything about it. And and what I love about it is being with the friends and family on that road trip. There's nothing like it. I love traveling with the people I love. Now, what we've been talking about with this whole road trip is what it means to follow Jesus, to know his will, and live the adventure of the road trip of life. And I'm going to use the backdrop of this whole idea of being on the road with the ones you love. Today's message is called Never Go Alone, uh, the car load. And this is today all about the value and the importance of being on the road trip with the right people. It was the darkest days of Israel. 350-year cycle of just complete destruction. Seven times the people of Israel would, would fall from their, from their level of grace with God and they would backslide and worship false idols or get themselves into some terrible sin. And then seven times they would repent and turn around and God would send someone to help them. And then they would recover, bounce back, thank the Lord, and then they would again fall into sin, fall into idol worship. Seven times this happened over a period of 350 years. And the very last verse of that story, which is found in the book of Judges, the very last verse of that whole story really sums up that whole attitude of how we look at life, unfortunately. Judges 21, 25 says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. You see, this still happens today. When it comes to following God's real, we're often on the same route. We, we think that, you know, God's some celestial king up there somewhere, but really I get to call the shots for my own life. And, and when we begin to call the shots for our own life, we begin to miss God's plan, design, and will for our life in this road trip of life. And so what I want to challenge you to do is today is to, to kind of turn off the independence attitude that we often have here in America. And I want us to focus on what God's view on this particular issue of living life together. Today, rather than focus on a primary verse or a passage or a book of the Bible, we're going to look at a biblical concept. And this is what's known as systematic theology. That's where you take a look at a particular area and what God says about that particular area. For example, if we did a sermon on angels or on forgiveness or on the return of Jesus, that would be a systematic theology discussion where we look at the idea and then look at what the Bible has to say. What we're going to do today is we're going to see what the Bible says about the importance of taking our spiritual journey together. We are not to go this life alone. There are just some things you can't do alone. Let's see. I've got a few things listed here, but I want you guys to shout out some things that you can't do alone. Go. 
conversation, a seesaw. What was that? Tic-tac-toe? Chess? Tug-of-war? Potato race? (laughs) Always be the winner. Anything else? Some things you just shouldn't do alone. Get married. married. (laughs) Yeah, I hope you wouldn't marry yourself. All right. Mr. and Mrs. Me. Here's some things I got listed. Scuba diving, rock climbing, moving, uh, practical things like cut down a tree or cut your own hair. Shouldn't do that by yourself. Some of you, (laughs) you know. I can tell. Um, Play ping pong, play hide and seek, go on a romantic date, slow dance, these sort of things. Um, And if you've ever wondered what it might look like to do some of these things alone, uh, take a look at this. Hanging around in the rain Playing the same little game I'm only hoping to Get to see you Looking around as if I Had something I had to try When all I want to do Is see you It was chance and ask you to dance and that will start our romance and after all I've been through just to get close to you I know that you will love me Some things in life that are just better together. Now, as, as ridiculous as some of those images might be, we actually have this problem with our spiritual journey. We often look at our spiritual life as somehow a solo mission, that we're some kind of spiritual vigilante. Ultimately, uh, we were never designed to walk this journey with God alone, but unfortunately, many of us and many of you are trying. Never confuse a personal relationship with a private relationship. You know, people say, well, my walk with God is a, is a personal relationship. It is. Uh, our walk with God is not about church uh, attendance. It's, it, that is a tool. It's a powerful tool. We're going to talk about that. But it's not about, you know, a, a religious experience or something. It is a personal relationship with the Creator. But don't confuse a personal relationship with a private relationship because a lot of people, they somehow think that that means, well, that's just between me and God. What I do in my personal life or my private life, my personal life with God is between me and him. Our culture is so individualistic that a personal relationship with God, which is our personal and intimate walk with God, sometimes means an individualistic relationship with God, meaning I'm doing it alone. Now, happy 4th of July, everybody. I love the 4th of July. What a great Great blessing we have been given to be a part of this uh, experiment of government. 
Uh, we are one of the newest world powers in the entire world, and somehow God's favor has been upon us. Uh, we're not perfect. We have a lot of struggles and trials, uh, but what a great blessing we have. But I think one of the downsides of uh, the American spirit is this individualistic attitude, which has in some ways driven us to this great power, but it's also caused us to be a nation filled with people who isolate ourselves. People who kind of uh, pull ourselves away and this whole idea of that you can do it alone, uh, you can do it on your own, just pull yourself up by the boot straps. And, but don't confuse that spirit with what God has designed us to be like in our walk with God. There's a false assumption. Many assume the people who are the closest with God spend the most time alone with God. Some people think, well, that's how you know someone's really close with God. They have a prayer life, man. They're like, man, they're like in prayer hours a day. They only come out of the prayer closet to eat and go to work because they have to, right? And you're like, man, if I could just be with that person who's just, man, they're just with God all the time. Solitude. Sorry, guys, can't go out tonight, my friends. Sorry, no movies tonight. Sorry, I don't, TV, what's that? I'm in prayer, you know? And there's like, man, they must be really on fire with God. There's a false assumption that somehow we think that the closer we are to God in our solitude with him and our prayer with him, that somehow that is going to make us stronger, better, or closer to God. Now, there is some nuggets of reality in that, but it's a false assumption to think the people who spend all their time in prayer and solitude are closer to God than you. I'm not disrespecting prayer or solitude with God or time with God or quiet time. However, the issue of this magnitude is very clearly laid out in the Bible that that is not the measure of our relationship with God. So let's clarify some things. Never go alone. We are called to be disciples, not monks. And I think the monks got it wrong. If you're not sure what a monk is, you know, <laughs> I think of, uh, of um, oh gosh, I went blank here. That British group, um, Monty Python, yeah. Monty Python, and they have the monks, and they hit their head with a board, and they're just walking in circles. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. It's ridiculous. But there's this idea that somehow uh, in the Dark Ages, there, or just, just before the Dark Ages, that there was this inspiration of Christians that wanted to isolate themselves in the hills and the mountains, and they would take these vows of silence. They would take these vows of, of like a lifelong fast from society or even food, uh, uh, certain kinds of food and people, and they would, they would huddle into these massive, uh, you know, buildings and churches and these uh, locations, and they, they, would, they would just pray and be in solitude, and read the Bible, and never talk, and, and uh, you know, we, oh man, if I could just, man, those monks must be holy, man, they, they never make a mistake, man, they're always just with God, and man, they know the Bible really well, you know, the monks got it all wrong, the monks got it all wrong, the Bible tells us so, so what I want to do is I want to talk about how the monks missed it first, and how we can actually go it together better. Here's the first thing I want you to know about the reality of how the monks missed is Number one, true religion isn't found in solitude. It's found in serving others. Faith that pleases God and the faith that God expects is found in our, 
is not in our private time. It's not in our verse memorization. It's not in in our worship time, but it's in serving others. The faith that God asks us to walk out is not about how many Bible verses you know. And it's not about how many hours you spend in prayer. And it's not about how intensely you can raise your hands and sing all the words to all the songs. This is what the Bible says. Jesus in Luke 5, 6, he, you know, people have said, well, Jesus often withdrew to spend time alone with, in prayer. That's exactly right. But you need to understand this. Is, that is not the essence of his ministry. He did not come so that we could learn how to isolate ourselves from others and spend time with the Father. This is not why he came. This is not what he did the majority of his time. He did it often, but it was not what he came to model as a lifestyle reflection. It is a tool of refuel, but it is not the end game, all right? Even the Lord's Prayer, when they said, Jesus, how should we pray? He prayed, let us Pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be uh, your name. Even the Lord's Prayer is about a community sense of drawing together as a community and understanding the value of together. Solitude was never the main thing or the purpose of his life. We see this in the question that was asked by him in Matthew 22 when they said, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37, he says, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind. And your, uh, with all your heart, soul, and with all your mind, and some translations say, in all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. This is not the period of his answer, however. He says, and the second is like it. Some translations say is just like it or just as important. And the second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all of the law and the prophets. Loving God and serving and loving others. You see, it's like a coin. I have a coin right here. Uh, when I was a kid, and I always looked in the magazines for like the novelty type stuff, or when you go to like the magic shops, I'm like a magic nerd. Um, I always wanted to be like a magician growing up and stuff, sorry. My, my kids know that, so they like, will occasionally give me like magic tricks from my birthdays and Christmas and stuff. And I love magic shows and anyhow, but I, I was always fascinated with a real simple two-headed sided coin, right? Remember those? It's a coin that has a head on both sides. And you could always flip it and always always win. You could always determine the outcome. It's a cheat, right? It's a fake. It's not real. And what we often do is we like to pick one or the other of this command of God. We're like, well, you know, I'm going to love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's that's an act of worship and reflection and prayer, and, and there's a measure of solitude in that as well. It's said, God, I just want to love you, and then a lot of people, they pick that as their primary focus, and then they just don't like people, right? Like the monks, they, they get like, I love you, God, so I'm going to spend my whole life isolating myself from everybody around me. Because I love you so much, I don't want to be like this sinful world over here. And then there are others that are like, yeah, I love you, God, but man, I just man, I just love people. I just want to be around people, justice missions, working, travel, you know, and, you know, feeding the hungry. All these are important. But we need to understand that this mission of God is like a two-sided coin. It's not a one-sided coin. If you only pick one side, you're cheating yourself out on the spiritual journey that God has designed for you. And it's not really a flip, like I'm going to be loving God today, or a flip, I'm going to be serving God today. It's more like when you put a coin on a table and you, you spin it, right? And it just, it just spins. That's our spiritual life. It is an equal balance of both loving God 
and loving others and serving others. James 1.27, James is the half-brother of Jesus, and this is what he said. Uh, James 1.27, he says, religion or service of God, uh, God, the, the type of relationship with God that pleases him, service of God that is pure, um, he says is this, that you read your Bible a lot, that you pray a lot, that you meditate a lot, or that you spend a lot of time alone with God and reflection. No, it doesn't say that. He says true religion or service of God is pure and undefiled before that is pure and undefiled before the God, uh, for the Lord God is this, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That means serving others and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's living a morally pure life. He says this is what God expects. This is what a life that purely reflects a service of God. If you get out there, live a pure life, and represent Jesus by loving on others and serving others and caring for those that can't care for themselves. Prayer and solitude is a fueling station. It is not the road trip of life. The road trip of life is learning how to get out there on the road with people, with loading up the car and making those stops to help and to serve and love on others. Those times of solitude and prayer is just where you don't spend the day at the quick T, you know, at the QT, at the quick, at the quick trip. You don't, you don't spend the day at the gas station. It's just a temporary refuel, pump up, get a drink, get a snack, hit the road. It's just part of the destination. It's a tool of the destination. But many of us are one-sided coin. Micah 6 says this, uh, verse 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good. Talking about what the Lord has said that is good. And what does the Lord require? Or expect of us, of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is what God expects. This is what God requires. To do justice, to serve others, to be with others, to interact with others, and to walk humbly with your God. This is not to discredit prayer or solitude or quiet times. I encourage them, but the reason we have those is to fulfill Jesus' words in Matthew 5, which says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Everybody say others. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That you are with others to the point that they can see a life that's different. You see, true religion isn't found in solitude, but it's found in serving others. Here's the other thing that the monks got wrong is that our assignment is not to isolate, but to infiltrate. The Great Commission is all about this. Go into all the world. Go, go. It's about being active in the world. It's about being involved in what's happening in the lives of those around you. Infiltrate. Don't isolate. Get out there and get in the world. We are to be in it, but not of it. We are to be a part of it without actually participating in all that it offers. But we are to be in it. I think Christians have this, this you know, this kind of mindset that somehow we need to get into these like little 
Christian bubbles and, and just kind of get our own like Christian plumbers and our own Christian you know mechanics and our own Christian television channels and our own Christian shoes and our own Christian shirts and our own Christian grocery stores outlets and what it's like man our own Christian restaurants I just want to go where the other Christians are at and I because that's where it's safe that's where I'm not going to hear any bad words or or have any angry moments or see someone who kind of I don't want to see kissing right and you know like, uh, you know, we just isolate ourselves. No, Jesus says, get out there. Infiltrate. Don't isolate. You know, this is what our faith in God is all about. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came to them. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples. The word disciple means followers of Jesus, Jesus followers. Go out there and make Jesus followers of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. How can we be a light? How can we be an example? How can we be salt? Salt does no, does no good in the salt shaker. A, 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 a flashlight does no good in your pocket. We have got to expose what God is doing in our life to those around us and stop huddling in our little Christian bubble circles. Now, we need those moments where we get together as a church or in Christian community or times of worship to be refreshed and encouraged. You know, in this world that seems to be going crazy, we have a community of faith that is praying for each other, encouraging one another, and, and praying for one another, which we're going to talk about in a second, the vital uh, aspect of being in community with each other. But the end goal is to get out there. Jesus didn't walk with his disciples for three years and say, all right, guys, I'm about to go to heaven, and I want you 12 to just sit tight, stay together, because it's going to get crazy. Lock yourself up in a room because they're coming after you. No, he said, get out there. They're coming after you, so get out there and spread the gospel while you can. 1 Peter 2, verse 11 says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. That's a reminder that Peter says this world is not our home. We're just, we're just here on a temporary visa. Don't get too comfortable. He says, as foreigners and exiles in this life, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. That means live a pure life. Many respond to this by isolating themselves. Well, you know what? I don't want to see what's on TV, so I'm not going to watch that, which is a good idea for many of us. We need to be discerning in what we allow into our life and our heart. But when we, we can't isolate ourselves from society, from the world. Well, I'm not going to the mall. I'm not going to, man, my work. I wish I just worked at a place where everybody was a Christian. I just wish everybody at my place where I worked would stop swearing. I wish everybody where I was at could just be just like me, right? He says, no. He says, get out there, abstain from these things. So our response is often to try to isolate ourselves. But he says, he doesn't say that. He says, verse 12, and said, live such good lives among the pagans. Now, what is a pagan? That's a fancy word that means basically someone who doesn't know the true God. So basically anyone who's not a follower of Jesus Christ, who doesn't know the true and living God, who doesn't know God through Jesus Christ, the Bible calls them a pagan, someone who doesn't know the true God. He doesn't say isolate ourselves from them. He doesn't say run away from them. He doesn't say stop being friends with them or don't go to work with them or don't hang out with them. He says rather instead live a pure life among them. 
Live a pure life among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, your actions, and glorify God on the day he visits us. Why would they glorify God when he returns? Because they have met Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You see, if you can shine a light among those that don't know Jesus and live a pure life among them, one that is pure and holy, that means different and set apart, then they will be attracted and drawn to the life change in you. When I, you know, when I was in, in uh, when I was 17, 18, I worked at a restaurant in Rowlett called Big Daddy's Lakeside Grill. And then they changed the name to Hooters, Hooters Route 66 Cafe, not associated with Hooters. And uh, uh, same restaurant, but I was, a, I was a kitchen staff. I was a fry cook, and I was also a waiter. And so some of the days I worked in the kitchen, some of the days I worked as a waiter. And, uh, man, it was, if you've ever worked in restaurant business, you know it's a place where there's just a lot, a lot of need, a lot of lost people, a lot of drinking. Uh, there was a lot of drugs, a lot of late nights. And, and when you're not serving tables with courtesy, you're ba- you basically it's a lot of perversion and vulgarity. But, man, I worked in that environment, and I, I love these, these folks, man. I didn't judge them. I didn't. You know, but I lived a pure life among them. I didn't participate in the vulgarity or in the nastiness or in the rudeness. Or uh, I always had a, a life-giving, positive attitude, you know, and, and I never went out and partied with them and stuff. But we did hang out after work for a little bit. But I didn't participate in the things that they participated in. And eventually it happened. One of the guys who was, who was one of my least favorite guys to work with, another cook, least fa- he was, the guy was the biggest jerk in the entire place. We were closing a restaurant one night uh, together, and he's like, man, I don't get you, Ted. What is it about you? You always are, They knew I was a Christian. They knew I went to church, but they're like, what is it about you? And you're always positive, always had a good attitude. You always treat people nice. I don't understand that. What is that? Now, he had already known I was a Christian, but I took that opportunity to really tell him about Jesus, and I said, well, you know, I believe that's Jesus in me, and I didn't make a big deal of it. I just kind of planted a seed, but here's what we did. For the first time ever, we did something after work. We're talking like at 1 o'clock in the morning. We went and played putt-putt. I remember when putt-putt used to be open until like 2 o'clock. So we went and played putt-putt. 2 o'clock, they closed. I drove them home. When I got to, over to his house, we were both like uh, 17, 18. Um, I pulled up to his house. No, we would have been 17. This is because, uh, funny story, we ended up moving in together as, as best friends. Here's what happened. I sat in front of his house, and we talked for the next two hours about Jesus. I began to share Jesus with him, and I led him to Christ in the car right there at that moment. And uh, he ended up becoming one of my closest friends. I was the best man in his wedding. We ended up living together for a while. Uh, he moved into my house with me, and then when I moved out of my house with my mom, we moved into a, a condo together. We, we are still friends to this day. But after that moment, I tell you, revival broke out in that workplace. Man, there were guys that, that were, the waitresses were talking about Jesus and giving their life to Jesus. And within a, a four-week period, we actually led about five people to Christ uh, just and, and I'd already been there two years, but it took two years of living the life that, that was a pure life and honoring God. And I didn't isolate myself, but I infiltrated by reflecting Jesus. I tell you, that's what God has called us to do and to be like. Uh, we cannot fulfill God's 
uh, command. We cannot fulfill what God has called us to do if we live in isolation. They are to see our good deeds among them. You will not have impact without contact. You can write that down. Uh, don't be a bubble Christian. Get out there. Be a light. Your pagan job is a mission assignment. Don't run from non-Christians. Here's the next thing that we learned from the monks uh, not to do is that we are not independent contractors. We are interdependent parts of the body of Christ. We often think, well, you know what, God and I are on assignment. You know, like the Blues Brothers, we're on, I'm on a mission from God. And there's some like, he's my boss, I work for him. Well, you know, that may be true, but the Bible never paints a picture of a, uh, of a vigilante. God, and many times, even the prophets that stood alone against the odds, God would often bring them people around them because they were never meant or designed to bear those burdens alone. Jesus never sent out the disciples doing solo work. He always sent them out in pairs or more, and even just. Uh, Jesus' inner circle of discipleship. He had the 12, but then he mentored the three so that they could be an encouragement and a challenge to each other. The design of God is community. The design of God is that we are members one another. Individuals with, not with individual assignments, but the body of Christ with one dynamic goal. Working together, Romans 12, 4 through 5 says that we are parts of one body. We are designed and commanded to work together, assigned as a team to impact the world together. God does not say, you're the eye. Now, I get out there. Make a difference, eyeball. He doesn't say, you know, he says we are, some of us are the eyes or the ears, the arms, and we have different roles. He doesn't say, all right, you're the foot. Just stay back because you smell. No, we all have a role. We are a part of the body with a mission, with different parts to that mission, but we all are designed to be together. 1 Corinthians 12 says we are one body with unity and diversity, but we have different roles to play, but one mission together in the kingdom. Stop being a solo vigilante. Now, we live in a world where comics are making a big comeback in the last decade, you know, comic movies and that sort of thing. And back Years ago, even when I was a kid, it was kind of before me, but the Lone Ranger was really big. I don't know if you guys ever heard of the Lone Ranger. Uh, and just his title basically says it all. He's a guy who liked to be alone, and he had a war mask. And But even the Lone Ranger needed a Tonto. But we kind of get this idea that somehow, you know, Batman is the baddest. You know, everybody loves Batman because he's like the every, he's the, he could be you right? He doesn't have like superpowers other than being really rich and pretty smart, but really he doesn't have like laser beam eyes and he doesn't have like super strength other than like his regular workout, right? And so you think, man, I could be Batman, but even Batman needs his Robin because we're not designed to be alone. But somehow we, we somehow think that these vigilante solos, man, that's the ideal. God never designed us to be on mission as a lone ranger, as a solo vigilante. We are dependent on, uh, interdependent on each other. Let me put it this way. If, if you think of the word dependent, think unhealthy. Like if, I'm, if, I'm de if I depend on you, if I'm dependent on you, like in a dependent relationship, like I can't live, I can't breathe, I can't survive, I need this person in my life. Oh, you know, a, de a dependent life is an unhealthy life. Because it tends to cause people to do things in an unhealthy way in order to keep or to sustain that relationship. It's unhealthy. And then there is the independent life. And that is just as unhealthy. I don't need you. I don't need that. I don't need you. And I don't need this. And I don't need that. And I don't need you. I don't need anybody. All I need is me and this paddle ball and my dog. And, you know, the, the, 
the list of the jerk as he's walking out. I just need this, and I need this. I don't, I don't need that, but I need this. We got this, you know, I don't need anybody as long as I got my stuff and I'm in charge. That's unhealthy too. We tend to isolate ourselves, become islands to ourselves, lonely individual people. But what God has designed us to be is interdependent, where we are whole in Christ without someone, but working together with this desire to be in connection we are designed and created to be in relationship. There are 59 one another's in the Bible. These uh, are things like love one another, comfort one another, build up one another, confess our sins to one another, pray for one another, accept one another, teach to one another, be compassionate to one another, submit to one another, serve one another, forgive one another, carry one another's burdens, and many, many more. And you know what these all have in common? One another. The entire New Testament was written to churches and to leaders of churches. And the word church itself, have you guys ever heard of the word church before? Yes, all of us. Church is not a building. Church is us. The word church is the Greek word ekklesia, which means to gather together. So even the word church, you can't, you can't have church on your back patio by yourself, sir. A round of golf by yourself is not church. Even a round of golf by, with two is probably not church either. You can, you can have church when you are gathered together. You're part of the body of Christ, but we are the church together. We are designed to be together. The entire New Testament assumes that when you bow the knee to Jesus, you become part of a body together, that we are not individuals on uh, you know, independent contractors, but we are interdependent bodies uh, members of the same body. Here's the power of numbers. I want to end with a couple of thoughts here. Is that the power of numbers, the reality of isolation, why only a fool goes it alone. These are some values and some things that we can take away when it comes to this importance of being in community together. Number one, why do we need to be together? Because some decisions are just too difficult to figure out alone. Imagine just for a second you're the smartest Bible person in the room. And you have the best prayer life of anyone you know, kind of like Sean. And then, <laughs> imagine you're the smartest Bible person in the room and have the best prayer life that you know. Seems like you'd probably be able to make all the decisions that you need without any counsel, without any help, or without any friend or anybody. But you see, you still have a problem that we all have. It's called static on the line. And what's that mean? It means we all have a problem that we are battling from the day we were born, and that's called a sin nature. Every one of us are inclined towards selfishness. And you might have all the Bible memorized. You might have a dynamic prayer time, but you still have a problem, static on the line. Romans 7 says that even the Apostle Paul, man, who's, who walked with God, he wrote a third of the New Testament, he struggled with static on the line. He said, the things I want to do, I don't always do. The things I don't want to do, sometimes I do them. Who's my help? Jesus Christ, man. Thank you, Lord, that you're with me and that you send people into my life. There's this sense of, of we need each other. Even the smartest, the, the person who's got the who's been walking with God the longest, we need each other. Even if I know a lot of the Bible and know how to, the, uh, how to pray, I still have a sinful nature that is working against me. I don't know if you know this, but I've actually lost the majority of my hearing in my right ear. When I had cancer in 2009, um, when I was going through chemotherapy, I uh, got some kind of ear infection, and it kind of made it worse. And so I've lost pretty much all the hearing in my right ear except for a very little bit. So when I cover this ear, I, I can't hear anything. 
I can hear some when I put earbuds in, but I have to use both because when I put one in, everything is flat in, with just one earbud. It's really weird. So um, the problem when I can't hear, it's kind of funny. We'll do Bible studies with the zone. You know, and I'm in a small room, and everything sounds like it's coming out of the right, no matter who it is. So you can be someone like right next to me and answer something. I'll ask a question in a Bible study setting. The person right next to me will say something, I'll go, and they all laugh at me. <laughs> Somebody will say something around the room, and I'm like, I don't know where it came from. You know, and I, I have no idea. And even if the stuff that comes over there, I'm like, I can't trust that. So is it over here? You know, and the problem is not the message. The problem is not who's speaking. The problem is on the receiving end, right? So a lot of times I have to ask my wife, what did you, what did they say? Or I have to ask, repeat the group, what did you say? Or I'm looking at you weird because, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to you, you might notice I'm doing this. I'm just looking <laughs> sideways. You know, it's because I'm like, my radar is going up. Because I'm struggling. I'm looking at your lips. I'm listening a little bit. You know, I want to make sure I, I get it right. And the problem is not you. The problem is me. I have a hearing problem, right? And, and guess what? We have the same issue spiritually. You might have great skills with the Bible, have a lot of verses, have a great prayer time with God, but we all have a spiritual hearing problem. And regardless of how in tune you are or how much you're listening, there's going to be moments when you need somebody to repeat to you that voice that you're hearing. We need each other because some decisions are too difficult to figure out alone. Sometimes we need to hear it through people. A few verses on this, Proverbs 15, 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 12, 15, The way of the fool seems right to them. But the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 15, 12 says, Mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. So should you backpack alone? Should you rock climb alone? Should you deep sea swim alone? No. Do people do it? Yes. And then they get movies made about them. You know, like the guy who gets his arm stuck in the rock, and then he cuts his arm off to, you know, and they're like, man, what a hero. How brave. No, how stupid. He shouldn't have been out there alone. You see, listen, most of the time when you do things alone, most of the time it works. Most of the time doing something stupid works. But when it doesn't, you're in big trouble. And usually it works, but when you're in trouble, the mistakes are usually very, very big. Therefore, some decisions are too difficult to figure out alone. And number two, some trials are too hard to bear alone. There are some things you can't do alone. Burdens get lighter. Obstacles get smaller when friends are near. You know, anybody ever try to move a couch by yourself? If you're a guy, you've probably tried at least once. If you're a guy and you've tried to move a couch by yourself, raise your hand. Yeah, most of us guys have tried. Uh, girls, is there any of you that try to move a couch on your own? Okay, so it's not just a guy thing. You know, sometimes we're just so independent, I can do it. I got this. Have you ever tried to put a couch on a moving truck by yourself? <laughs> so many of us are so foolish. <laughs> we do it. We, we try to move it. I remember, all right, and we got these little flat screen TVs now, right? They're thin, they're light, you just pick them up, you move them. Remember the big tube TVs, right? We had these big tube TVs, we had like, 
Oh, I forgot what size it was. It was like a 47-inch. It was like the biggest tube at the time. You could get giant square, but the thing was like this thick, right? And I remember we, we would move our furniture in the room, right, and from one side to the other, and I'm like, I got this, honey. She goes, you need to call somebody. I got this. You know, you want me to call? And she feels, you know, one of our friends is like, no, I got this. And you're like this, right? And then you can get over there, but all of a sudden you realize you've got to lift it up another like five or six inches. So you're like, and you know, and you feel great until that evening. And you just, you're, you know, our spiritual life, the way we deal with life is very much like that. You know, you're struggling with something. You, you've got, you've got things on your heart and in your life. You've got a financial burden. You've got issues going on in your home, and somebody's like, maybe you should call somebody. Maybe you should talk to somebody. No, I got this. I got this. I got it. I just got to get through this season. I just got to get through this week. I just, I got it. You know, and we're, this is how we spend most of our life like this. I'm good. Eventually, I started letting my wife help me, but I still wasn't very good at calling friends to help. Thankfully, TVs have got lighter. (laughs) rather than learn my lesson, I just got a lighter TV. This verse is a great uh, verse, but it also seems like a contradiction, so let's explain it. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, think about it. Jesus just said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you do that, you fulfill the law. And then here, The Apostle Paul says, carry each other's burdens and you fulfill the law. You see, there's an intimate relationship with knowing God and serving each other's and bearing and walking through life together. It's very, it's interwoven into the design of God's design for us as people. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. That means don't think that you're too important to help someone out. You're not. Each one should test or examine their own actions or their own responsibilities Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each should carry their own load. Now, that seems like a complete contradiction. In one breath, it says, uh, carry each other's loads. And then it seems to say, but uh, carry your own load, carry your own burden. Which is it? Well, there's two things this means. Number one, it means when you see someone who needs help, help. The second thing it means Bear your own responsibilities faithfully, but don't do it alone. Be willing to receive help. Don't just expect people are there to just to do everything for you, right? But bear your responsibilities faithfully, but don't go alone. And if someone asks to help you, you know what you do? You let them help you. We're the worst at that. You need some help? No, I got it. You need anything? Yeah, I'm good. You know, we go through our whole life. People ask, how you doing? And our answer is, I'm fine. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Right? We just think we're fine all the time. If, if we live our whole life saying that we are fine, if that is what everyone gets from you, you are not in a healthy place. You can only have one of two things. You can either have privacy or you can have help. You can't have both. You can either live a private life or you can have help in life. You can't have both. 
So the choice is yours. We're not designed to be private individuals. We're designed to be interdependent individuals. By the time we become an adult, most of us know this, we stop asking for help. We ask prayer for our coworker who has cancer, but we don't mention the lump we have found. Or we hold back. We pray for a lost cat, but not for our own cat scan. Until we get the bad report, and then we're struggling with our faith, and we're like, oh, man, I need some help. That's when we ask. If you're living in a world where everyone gets, I'm fine from you, you're not in a good place. That's why we value our small groups. That's Because right here, this is not the best environment for me to get to know you and for you to get to know each other. This is kind of a pep rally for Jesus. This is kind of a time for us to gather to hear from God's word and to be encouraged. But real community, real life happens in our small groups. Whether it be in a small group or a ministry team that you're part of that becomes like a family where you pray for one another, you listen to one another, you encourage one another, and you serve with one another. See, if you're isolating yourself, if this is your check-in and then you got your gold star and you like get your church in for the week, that's not the design of God for you. Even Jesus in his humanity asked for help. Jesus, who is God on earth in his humanity, in, in Matthew 26, 36, the night before he was to be crucified, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he asked them, he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then Jesus said to them, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch, pray with me. Man, that's the words of Jesus. Man, when he was about to face the most challenging moment of his human life, he didn't say, guys, I got this. I'll see you tomorrow. He said, no, I'm, my heart is heavy. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I feel like I'm dying here. Guys, pray with me. Keep watch with God. You know, intercede with me. Because we were designed to be together and to need each other. Here's the next thing. And that is some temptations are just too strong to resist alone. Some decisions are too difficult to figure out alone. Some trials are too hard to bear alone. And some temptations are too strong to resist alone. In a couple of weeks or next week, I haven't decided, probably next week, we're going to talk about two categories of temptation. Uh, And there's the fleshly and there's the emotional. The fleshly would be desires from within, like fishing lures. We're all different with that. You know, what lures you, uh, you know, might not lure me, right? So we have different fleshly temptations. And when we see them, the Bible says we ought to run from them. And then there are emotional temptations, discouragement, insecurity, common to many of us. And the Bible says when we see them, when we experience them, we are to stand firm with them. We are to respond differently to these temptations. Some temptations, the physical uh, temptations we are to run from. The emotional uh, temptations we are to stand firm and, and we are to dig in with God with. But you will do better at running from fleshly temptations and digging in when you have emotional temptations when you are walking with one another. That's why Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how we might spur or encourage one another towards love and good deeds. That word spur, I want you to think of like a guy, a cowboy on a horse, and he's got the spurs, right? He's got the little spikes on his heels of his boot. And when he's riding, you spur, you hit the, hit the horse. It's like, come on, come on. 
right? Sometimes we need to tell each other, kick each other, king, king, come on, man, come on, right? So he says, we need each other. He says, listen, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. We like to use this verse in the context of church, but this is actually the bigger context of how we need to not isolate ourselves from each other, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one, uh, one another all the more as you see the day approaching. As, as they are seeing their days getting darker and darker with temptation, he says, man, even that much more do we need each other. Isolated Christianity is disobedience and stupid. Some temptations we only walk away from when we walk away with another person. That's why James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this in chapter 5, verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let me put it this way. If I were doing the same sin, if I were struggling with a habit or, or some, some struggle privately, every time I ask God to forgive me, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. He will forgive me. God, forgive me what I just did. God is faithful to forgive me. But I will go and do it again. And I'll ask God, forgive me, and he'll forgive me. And I'll do it again. And God, forgive me. But if I confess that sin to a brother or a friend, if you're a girl, you want to confess your sins to another gal, you know, if I confess it to a friend, I say, man, I got this struggle, I got this thing going on, you know what, that friend's going to kick me in the hind end every time I make that mistake. I'm more likely to walk away from that temptation. I'm more likely to be able to stand firm and stand strong and resist that temptation. You see, that's why it says confess your sins one another so that you might be healed or delivered or set free, right? Let me put it this way. If you're in a classroom and you're cheating in your classroom and you cheat, you might, God, forgive me for cheating right? You might cheat again. God, forgive me for cheating. I'm so sorry I did it again. And the next class, you're going to bind you to keep cheating. But you know what? If you sit in, front of the, in the front row and you tell your teacher, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. I cheated last time. I'm cheating. You think you would cheat again? <laughs> no, she'd be like, you're sitting right there. I'm watching you. You know, there's all this accountability, confession of sins to one another, right? This is the challenge that God gives us. Glass house living, a few people in your life that you're transparent with, that you live with in accountability, knowing that you're watched even if you are alone. Something powerful happens when this begins to happen. You know what that is? When you allow others to be so close to you that you have this glass house life, that there are those of you that the few people, maybe one or two friends that have that, you know what happens? This is powerful. They're so close to you that they begin to see when things are going bad before you even ask for help. When you allow those people in your life, they're allowed to, hey, man, what's going on in your life? You're acting strange. You're acting weird. I can see based upon your habits that something's going on. What's going on? And see, that's the beauty of glass house living. It gives you this opportunity to build relationships so that people are involving their life uh, your, uh, into your life before you even realize it. Sometimes that you even need it those who hold your hands up when you can't. Proverbs 21, 17 says, as iron sharpens irons, so one person sharpens another person. Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 443 friends on Facebook versus real friends. 
So I want to end with you, and I'm going to pray with you today with this final thought, and that is this. Three things we all need on this road trip of life. Three things that I believe the Bible says that we get from community with church. I'll tell you something. Um, we're about to make a big transition uh, as our church will probably be moving this month. Um, I, it's not a probably. We will be moving this month. We're pretty sure that it could be within the next two to three weeks. We're still trying to it really depends on inspections and that sort of thing. But by the end of this month, we will be in our new space. And with that comes a new way of doing church for us. We've been here for 11 years, so a lot of how we do worship, our kids' church, so much will be changing. So much, Our DNA will be the same as our mission, our calling, and who we are. And, and a, lot of, a lot of things won't be changing, but a lot will be changing. And when that happens, we're going to need each other more than ever. We're going to need each other to step up. There's going to be new opportunities for people to serve, more places for people to be involved, and I'm very excited about it. The local church is God's greenhouse to grow us and mature us, and our new journey together is something I'm so excited about because I believe that our church fulfills these great needs of a road trip of life, and that is genuinely known, lovingly supported, and honestly challenged. You know, when God created human beings... It's the one thing he said that was not good. He said, the universe, the skies, the crowd, the sky, at the end of the day, it is good. Man, the, the worlds, you know, the, the planets, uh, nature, you know, light and water and this, the days, Jesus said, man, this is good. He created the trees and the vegetation. He says, this is good. He created the animals, the animal kingdom and, and all these animals. He said, this is good. He created man and he looked at man and he says, this is not good. Genesis 2.18, he says, it is not good that man should be alone. So I will make him a helper suitable for him. And God created a woman and brought them together. And then he says, this is good. You know it's good? Us being in relationship with each other. We were designed to be together. That's why uh, the church fulfills these great roles, even when our families sometimes fail us, genuinely known. That means the cry of every heart. The, the real me, not a facade. It's moving beyond the I'm fine and you being able to be honest. Number two, lovingly supported. Not just I'll pray for you, but actually praying for someone and going over to their house and helping them, giving them a helping hand, uh, whether it be uh, helping them move or financial help. It's more than words. It's actions lovingly supported, and it's honestly challenged. That means where people have the permission to speak into your life and sometimes even tell you things that are hard to hear. These are the things we need for the road trip of life. So if we journey through life that way, not only will we have a great adventure, but we'll have a great story to tell others and to enjoy it with. Never, never, never ride through life alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We got on this 4th of July weekend, Lord, we get to celebrate the freedom that comes uh, with living here. But, but Father, even though we live in a free country, Lord, we're still slaves to ourselves if we're not walking in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that as we were challenged this morning on the, the need for, for being in community and needing each other, God, I pray that if there's anyone here who feels like that they are tired of going alone in their life and in their walk with God, Father, I pray that this would truly be a freedom day for them. That July 2nd, 
2017 will be the day that they joined arms with you, dear Jesus, and connected with the body of Christ and community and truly understood what it means to be free in you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to give you a chance to respond to that this morning. Maybe you're here this morning. You have been isolating yourself from others and from people. Today's the day to end that habit, to reach out to someone. Father, I believe there's someone here that, that needs to know you. God, the beginning of freedom, the beginning of the sense of community and design for our life begins with knowing who you are in us. If that's you this morning, I want to lead you in a, in a simple prayer. But if you mean it from your heart, and you pray this in your heart, if you just confess this, then, then God will begin a brand new work in you. So let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, that you didn't leave me alone. But Jesus, you came to me. You came to us. You came to all of us by dying on a cross for my sin. Forgive me of my sin. I turn from my life turn to your life. God, show me what it means to walk with you, to walk with community, with the body of Christ. Thank you for loving me and giving me freedom, true freedom. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.